Welcome to the LTA Sonic Digital Amusement Park. This is in no way a premeditated plot to get you to listen to our podcast while enjoying our luxurious attractions such as the Ring Exhibit, where we have rings on display, or the Monitor Exhibit, where we have monitors on display. You can't do anything with anything because it's digital. Hi, I'm Krep. I'm Mitt. And something happened with Sonic in the 2010s. It's a little hard to pin down. Actually, it's not that hard, but I like to say it's a little hard to pin down because that kind of gives us a little wiggle room in, in how we choose to talk about it. But Yeah, we uh, can pretend that it was some cosmic force to, to <laughs> relieve the accused of their responsibility here. Something happened to Sonic in the 2010s, and all of his friends too, and they all just started acting weird and talking weird. And... I don't know, maybe it's just the right time to delve into it. It's 2021, the tens are behind us, and there's a chance, small one, that things are going to be a little different going forward in terms of narrative and plot structure and how characters talk to each other. Maybe they'll talk like people this time. That'd be so nice. That'd be so nice. Uh, I can't remember the last time Sonic talked like a person. I can. Yeah? It's a little ditty called... Well, I was going to say Sonic Adventure 2 and be facetious, but it was Sonic and the Black Knight. It was Sonic and the Black Knight, yeah. He had a lot of that going on in that game. That's... Yeah. Maybe a topic for another time, but like, I was just kind of listening to Black Knight stuff recently for a completely unrelated reason, and I didn't realize that Sonic had all these voice clips for like different missions and different levels where he would say like, so all I gotta do is this, this, and this, right? Like, to someone. And it's like kind of charming. Uh, the way that Jason Griffith delivered those lines was very like, he's just a guy. It didn't sound like he was trying to force it through a voice or anything, and it felt like a little distant from his sonic voice, but it was also kind of cool. I don't know. I'd never heard those lines before. I should probably sit down and give the Black Knight voice clips like a real listen, because I've never been a, a huge Griffith guy. Um, mm. I don't dislike him. Um, I guess it's because that's the, the voice that I guess I grew up on, so it's like, in a way, I'm very biased towards it, but like, in a way, I'm not. I guess it's it's the one that I'm the most used to chronologically speaking, so I find it the less the the least interesting. Like I don't have nostalgia for it the same way that I think other people do, or I don't huh. just generally have that fondness, even if it's not nostalgia. It's just like I grew up watching Sonic X and the entire Jason Griffith era of Sonic, so like I know how he sounds, and it's not that crazy to me hearing him speak. It's weird. I didn't really grow up with Sonic X just because it wasn't played on channels I tend to frequent when I was a kid and I still had TV. So I don't yeah. really have much reference for how he sounded in that. It's just that I know that, like going back and watching some clips of the dub, he doesn't sound like he does in the games pretty much, which I find interesting. He's given different yeah. voice direction. I've never been like a huge fan of how Griffith sounded in the games either. I think he had moments of sounding pretty good in in uh, Unleashed, and more moments in Black Knight, and those are toward, like, the last few times you would ever be Sonic for any reason. Right. So, he just, either he figured things out better as a voice actor, uh, 
Sonic team staff figured figured things out better as voice directors, or it was all incidental, and we just think he sounds better in those games. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, given the way history has repeated itself with Sonic and voice acting, I think in a way it's more like Jason and everyone else kind of learn how to voice direct themselves, mm-hmm. um, and they were used to how Sega handles voice acting so they were like okay well i'm probably not going to be able to or maybe like literally voice directed in the sense that they knew like okay odds are they're just going to take my first take so maybe i should say like hey why don't i get a couple of takes and i'll let you know which one i think is the best sounding one (laughs) yeah who knows i i wonder if they if he was given that kind of freedom yeah that's big speculation but like it's pretty pretty likely or pretty reasonable I'd be interested. Yeah. I wonder if uh, if Jason's ever given like interviews on what the processes were like, or if like anyone's ever asked him. Really? Yeah, I feel like that's a big hole in how we understand uh, Sega choosing voice acting, voice actors, and how they handle voice acting in general. Because historically, we do at least know that they don't tend to use native English speakers for English voice direction, uh, which has its own problems. Potentially speaking. Yeah, I wonder if that's still the case. Like, I actually don't know. Uh, They had English writers on board for a while. Uh, We talked about it earlier in the What the Heck's Going On with Sonic episode, but uh, Ken Pontak and Warren Graff were dropped uh, this year, or at least confirmed dropped as of this year. And they were the writers for mainline Sonic games for the the entire last decade. So... uh, a lot could a lot could go with them and luckily it's not really a throwing the baby out with the bathwater situation it's it's just draining the whole thing you didn't want anything that was in there there was no baby it was just a doll that uh nobody wanted anyway i guess yeah you didn't throw out the bathwater you just pulled out the drain yeah the plug you open the drain <laughs> you pulled the plug on it yeah uh but uh in their wake before they were uh, removed from the premises, they did leave quite a smoldering crater um, <laughs> behind for Sonic and friends. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to be talking about that kind of the 2010s gap of of modern Sonic, where... There was a pretty big tonal shift starting with Sonic Colors where a lot of people view it as like more cartoonish, you know, like Saturday morning cartoon writing. But I think a lot of people have also noted that if if this is Saturday morning cartoon writing, Sonic is a pretty bad Saturday morning cartoon. Yeah. Um so and then I'll start it with Sonic Colors. I think like part of it also is that there is a big tonal through line from adventure all the way through black knight honestly yeah. uh even inclusive of other spin-offs like sonic riders i don't know how much the writing team overlapped for all of those games but like if you're able to set aside some of the more hacky writing that 06 has and it's it's other lows it still matches tonally for a lot of the games that came before it just without as much um without as much 
energy and spontaneity. It at least still had a lot of the levity and um, interest in looking at different characters and different lights. Yeah. And that's still true of, like, Secret Rings and, and Black Knight. And then you get to Colors. I don't know how to put it. Everyone just sucks. Yeah, everyone does start to suck really bad. Um, I think we've learned that it's more of a big problem with Lost World than it is some of the earlier games, where they, like, are actually unlikable, but they do start to get very insufferable very quickly. Yeah, it's certainly at its worst in Lost World. I think in Colors, everyone is just kind of two-dimensional. They're not... Yeah. They're not boring, and they're not jerks, but they are flat. Yeah. In, in the sense that, like, they don't really have anything to add to any given situation. I've got a lot of notes typed up for this one, which is kind of surprising. Uh, I, had, I had more emotions about this than I expected to have, but, like, the thing that I, I realized about Colors is that none of what happens in the plot matters none of what happens in the cutscenes matters except for the setup at the very beginning and the couple of cutscenes that come afterward that tell you exactly what eggman's doing and then the end they show yeah. up to the amusement park they find out that eggman's siphoning energy from these aliens that's that you know you get uh like a, a more in-depth look at his process later on but it also doesn't really drive the player forward at all compared to how overdriven they already were by the plot, and then it's over. All the cutscenes are just there to facilitate gameplay events or let the characters spout one-liners to each other for no real reason. Yep. And we have Cubot now. He's okay. Cubot's there. He's he's fine in colors. I think Orbot and Cubot are okay in colors because they don't do anything substantial and they don't leave like a huge mark. So it's kind of harder to feel annoyed by them. When, yeah. Whenever they're there, they're expressly there for some simple gags. And kind of knowing that about them is is makes the scenes that they're in okay. Compared to like Sonic and Tails being there for simple gags. Or, yeah. or Tails having these interactions with Yakker that are really superficial and just serve to be like, oh, here's a mistranslation joke. Tails said something that made no sense. <laughs> forgot about yakker like completely <laughs> yeah it's not like there's much to remember yeah i will say the uh to to put a cap on orbot and cubot i do really like how they've been characterized in the comics where it's like them being evil is like as it is a job as you can get um <laughs> because there are literally just points where they will just give up on on upholding Eggman's evil business, just because they don't care, they they do what he asks. But he is there if he is not there to ask it, then they're not gonna do it. They're getting paid seven bucks an hour. Where what are they gonna do? Yeah, what do they care? So they'll just bail, and that'll be it. And <laughs> and everyone like all the heroes are just like, okay, see you guys later. Like the they're not like evil people. They're just robots. They're literally doing what they're programmed to do. So it's, it, I guess it's not their fault that they do things with Eggman because it's literally in their programming. They can't help it. <laughs> yeah, I guess. It, it feels like a logical 
next step from characters like Scratch and Grounder and Boko and Deco. Yeah, and thinking about it that way is such like a, a thoughtful way to handle it in a space that you wouldn't think that they would be thoughtful about it. Yeah. The the IDW writers are doing a lot of things, right? Yeah. I also this is kind of like tangential from the whole discussion, but I like Orbot and Cubus designs. I think they're very charming visually. Yeah. They're they're neat. It's it's good for characters like that to have have writers capitalize on them at least a little bit. Mm-hmm. But they don't they don't do anything in colors. They they have they don't even have a B plot, they have a C plot. Oh yeah, they do have a plot. Pretty much just Qbot, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're both working together to find Qbot's voice chip. Yeah, true. That's that's all they're doing. They're not helping Eggman really. They're just there. Yeah. Part of the thing with colors to Lost World and Forces also is the existence of the Wisps at all. Yes. And I like them in colors. Yeah, like, they're neat. Um, but I think we've learned as they've kept inserting the wisps into things that, like, they're really not an equivalent to, like, the shields or Mario power-ups where, like, you could just throw them wherever you want and it's fine. Because mm -hmm. the wisps have an entire game story centered around them. Like, you can't just throw them around in things. When they have a place to live, they have a purpose that is entirely story contextual. They have a gimmick. So it's like, why do they keep getting stuck around when they are really centralizing gameplay elements that don't really feel like power-ups? They like, levels are built around them. Yeah. So, like, it's not, it's not power-ups in the way that Sonic has established itself to have power-ups, nor are they power-ups that function in a way that really complement the gameplay. Mm -hmm. they, they provide an alternative gameplay. Yeah. The thing that Colors did nice with them most of the time, most of the time, is that you were allowed to do different things with them. You would get a Wisp, and there are different ways you can go with it, or there are different places you can choose to use it. You end up having to use it, but you, you're given options, so the level feels really structured around them compared to in Lost World where you pick up a wisp and there's either only one thing to do with it, especially with stuff like the asteroid wisp that just kind of whisks you away and then you're done with it. Um, or you can just sidestep them entirely and you wonder why they're there to begin with. That's how I feel about like a lot of the laser wisp and eagle wisp uses. Yeah, or um, you could have the bomb wisp, which I'm pretty sure is exclusive to power-ups that you get outside of levels, like you bring mm. in with your item reserve, right? and all you do is roll around and eventually explode, and it's not used for anything contextual or specific. It's not like a better alternative to Sonic's main gameplay. You just roll around, you explode, and that's it. It just exists. In In the mobile game Sonic Runners, when it was available... I know they used the plot line of that game, or like plot scenes, I don't know if that game really has much of a plot line, 
but they used the scenes of that game to explain that the Wisps liked Sonic and Tails enough that they decided to leave as an entire colony to go to their world instead of staying on their own planet. Yep. And, like, on some level, I guess that's fine. It's just so weird. They, they, they can do that, but the fact that they have to justify it in a side game instead of the next major one where they're just kind of there arbitrarily with, with no reasoning. At no point in Sonic Lost World is there any ever is there any explanation for why Wisps are there? Yep, and well, it's even weirder for the Wisps to be there because it's not Sonic's world. It's that the too. Lost Hex. It's the Lost Hex, and to be fair, we don't know much about it. But also, to be unfair, we don't know anything about the Lost Hex, and that's a problem. Yeah, let's let let's take all these ideas that we have and and focus on. I guess one thing at a time, because mm-hmm. because uh, we have a lot of ideas and we do have a lot of talk to to talk about. We have a lot of ground to cover, so I guess let's like with Sonic Colors, they definitely took a step away from the way that Sonic stories and writing have established themselves in the past, um, which I think was kind of a build up, regardless of having a Pontac and Graph. Because the intent behind the tonal shift to making Sonic a lot more lighthearted and, I guess, Western-oriented, the writing is definitely very Western, because earlier Sonic stories are very, like, they definitely feel a lot more like anime. So you could definitely feel that they're not exactly written by Western, uh, Western writers. So... I would say that it does start a little bit with Unleashed, but because it's still the original team writing it, it still has some of the charm that makes the original, or not the the older games, charming. Like, even if you don't like some of the more extravagant stories in Sonic, you can still tell they can still tell that they try. Uh, they they have a lot of care to try and do what they want to do. Even in Sonic Six, Sonic Six tries very hard to take itself yeah. seriously. And whether the material sticks or not is kind of works per person. But the point is they still tried. Um, it's it's not that the material itself was kind of destined to be boring or fail or whatever. Um, but with Unleashed, they still kind of had that kick to it. Um, but they did air more on Lighthearted in a way that earlier games didn't. But... Sonic Colors focused on being extremely lighthearted and limiting the cast substantially to basically only Sonic, Tails, and Eggman. And the way that they handled those remaining characters is they're pretty much not even caricatures of their former selves, because I'm pretty sure we know that Pontek and Graf didn't really engage with any of the old Sonic stories and basically looked up cutscenes to get themselves up to speed. Like, they're not invested in the Sonic IP, as far mm-hmm. as I can remember. Um, so, when it came time to write Sonic Colors, it really just feels like a generic cartoon. Like, Sonic feels like... Sonic is the meme personification of himself. Um, Sonic and Sonic Colors, and that whole era in general, is the kind of Sonic that would say you're too slow, 
purely in a mimetic sense because people on the internet found it funny. So therefore, that Sonic has to find it funny because that's what that Sonic is. He's not yeah. like a character. He, he he is not a character. He is a reaction to the character. <laughs> I don't want to like oversimplify the point too much, but I feel like if anyone needs like a further idea of what the distinction is, I think Sonic up to that point was a character who could find himself funny, like a character who could say something because he enjoyed saying it. He enjoyed being the person that he's putting on, that he's, that he's projecting outward. And yeah. then after that point, he became more of the person, or he came off at least more like the kind of person who says something because he knows other people are going to find it funny. Yeah, and I think that definitely affected his dynamic with Tails. Because it feels like they're trying to have make them have more of a, of a dynamic. Like, look, they're best friends, so they, they kind of ramble and riff off each other, and Sonic will lead into Tails saying something and Tails won't pick it up because that's funny. But because they do that, it feels like they kind of hate each other a little bit. Yeah. Like, Tails just doesn't put up with any of Sonic's humor and Sonic just gets left hanging like he's a, a dad or something. Sonic's a dad now. He makes dad jokes and Tails is Sonic's son. That's what their dynamic is. I have a huge problem with the way that the characters act period in this whole period in this whole sure in this whole period i'll use the same word twice for different meanings because it's it's a culmination of the writing that the voice actors are given the voice actors themselves and the voice direction and the character animation yeah sonic games have always had some strange character animation look at like any of the particularly mocap Sonic Adventure 2 cutscenes that don't have like good camera use to kind of hide it. Uh, I think of like the scene where Sonic's in jail and he's pacing. A lot of, the, a lot of his motions look kind of awkward, but they're at least like understandable. Mm. Uh, or especially in 06, where everyone looks very strange because they're being mocapped and because they have odd proportions. But the reason those mocap scenes often look strange is because the people are doing acting with their bodies because they know they can't act with their faces when they're being mocapped. At least not at that time. That was before a lot of Western devs got way into funding mocap technology that uh, would actually capture actors' faces, expressions, and the like. Um, yeah. Th the point I'm getting at is that that was a different kind of awkward visual for, for character action than what we started getting in the 2010s where... Characters just gesticulated weirdly. No one had any, like, big motions, except for a couple of times. But they would do a lot of, like, leaning with their body as they say a certain thing midway through the sentence. They'll put their hand out for no real reason. They'll point around. Um, they'll turn their heads. And it's just strange the way they move. I, I don't really know how else to put it. And I don't It's aggressively like it. keyframed. Yeah. It is aggressively keyframed. No one is allowed to, like, sit relatively still for any reason. Um, I think there's a lot of children's media that's kind of like that. Uh, this kind of pervading idea of characters need to be visually enticing to kids to make sure that they're staying focused on top of being aurally enticing. Mm -hmm. As opposed to 
all the motion capture stuff from from the decade prior, which was much more in the vein of like um Tokusatsu and Sentai shows, stuff like Power Rangers and Common Rider, where people will be in full suits with a helmet on, so you can't see their faces. So the acting direction they're given is to gesticulate and pose in ways that express what the character is feeling since they can't do it with their face. Mm -hmm. All that in mind, I just don't... I don't like how anyone expresses themselves in Sonic Colors because of the delivery on their voice lines, because of the way that they move, and because of the things they're saying. It all wraps up into one annoying package, and this is something that I feel about all of the games that came out in the last decade. Yeah. It's funny, because Sonic Adventure 2 is super mo-capped. Yeah. It's, like, completely not subtle about it at all. And I really never had a problem with it. Um, Like, the motions are so exaggerated that by some miracle, it works <laughs> for me. No, I can see that, especially with some scenes. I think, like, yeah. the the jailed Sonic scene is one of the ones for me where it looks a little strange and it's probably because a lot of the motions are not super exaggerated or you can see like it just feels like a little too bouncy that's the scene i would say that i think i like the best honestly or at least it's the one that stands out in my mind the most just mm. because of the little details like sonic being physically impatient in the jail cell is like really good characterization for him. Like he just can't stand being in that jail cell. And no, I think that part's great. Yeah. So like <clears throat> there's some weirdness, but like Amy doing the little twirl and all the little things like that. And that mm -hmm. makes it all stick out really well in my brain. Yeah. The parts that I fixate on a little bit more are, um, when Amy says, if you promise to marry me, and Sonic turns around and says, no way, and, like, walks away from the camera further into his cell, like, the motions that he does in that exact moment feel a little weird to me. And it's, oh, yeah. it's stuff like that that I kind of pick up on. When I think of, like, the scene that I think looks best with the motion capture in SA2, it's always, it's always the scene where Sonic brings the fake Emerald to Eggman. Like, you can tell the way that he's walking is motion captured, and the way that he's he's holding the emerald in his hands is motion captured, but it looks fine. And I think a lot of it is the cinematography of it more than anything else. Yeah, definitely. But that's like, whether you, whether you think that's endearing or think it looks strange or have not really picked up on it, it's still like a noticeably different feel from the way characters move in Colors, Generations, Lost World, and Forces cutscenes. Yeah. There's a lot of like, punctuating with just uh, uh with hand gestures um lots of like throwing both hands up for no reason i see that a lot yeah everyone has to exaggerate or everyone has to express themselves really exaggeratedly and it has to always be pose to pose to pose and they have to be really big poses every single time and they're like it, it's weird that you said no one's allowed to ever stand still because i think i feel like because they're all keyframed so much they do stand still, like, a lot, but they're standing still, you know, gesturing as big as humanly possible. Yeah. Because there's just no 
in between subtle movement. It all has to be really weird and very stilted. It's really it's actually animated really stiltedly. Um how it gets pose to pose. And like it's nice to have these keyframes. Uh, but they're also not strong keyframes. Yeah. So it, it none of it really just helps. And it's probably more accurate if I had said they're they're not allowed to like hold pose. They're not allowed to relax. Yeah. And the models being awful uh, do not help. HD Sonic models have not been good for a while. They are terrible for this. Mm-hmm. And that's stinky. Yeah, that's like another factor in, in like all things wrapping up into a package that's not enjoyable. Yeah, for sure. I don't know if I really had anything else to say specifically about Color's place in all of this, because at the end of the day, it's kind of maybe not the least offensive. It's like the second least offensive of of the four of them. Yeah, it it's the yeah. I agree. I mean, yeah, I guess by that virtue, like, Generations is the least offensive because it has nothing going on. Yeah, it has nothing going on. It's verbatim what I wrote. Nobody has any character. It's really boring. Yeah, there's not any story. There's no opportunities for any character to happen, so nothing happens. You're, well, it's messed up because I think there are opportunities that they just don't seize. Yeah, that's true. Not even from a, like, they could have written the plot a different way. I just mean, like, every time you beat a level, you save a buddy, and they just say something to you, and then that's it. See ya. Like, they could have written a little more right there with each character. Sonic never says anything to anyone, and to some degree, you can read it as they didn't want modern Sonic to say anything because classic Sonic doesn't say anything to anyone. But sometimes characters have different exchanges between classic Sonic and modern Sonic with them. So why can't modern Sonic respond to them? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's they weird. always have different exchanges. Do they all have different exchanges? I thought some of them were the same. They all have different exchanges. I've, I've only ever Dang. interpreted it as they just didn't want to pay the voice actors more. <laughs> I mean, you know, given the industry, that wouldn't be surprising. But, but like nothing nothing happens with the characters uh, Generations plot is really paper thin and is just an excuse for the gameplay to happen and like that's fine it just also means that like it almost feels like they shouldn't have bothered as much as they did it's like a weird middle ground where Sonic Generations has so little going on but it really clearly wants to have something going on or at least make you feel like it has something going on yeah Ugh. But it's it's fine because Generations has all these fun trappings, the, the different locales that are familiar, um, having a relatively enjoyable hub world that you can also skip through most of just going from level to level in a menu. Yeah. So it it, it never feels like bogged down by its its lack of ambition in in the plot and character writing. Yeah. I think that's a good way a good way of putting it is just that it doesn't ever get in the way of anything. Yeah. So like yeah, there's nothing there, but at least the fact that there's nothing there never gets in the way of 
the game. So at this point in time in the community, everyone's a little bit sick of, of the new style of writing. Maybe not sick. Everyone's getting hungry. Um, everyone's getting hungry, yeah. Yeah, because after Colors, everyone was like, cool, this is a fun, lighthearted Sonic. I like this. Uh, I like that he makes funny jokes. Everything he says is pretty funny. It's like a cartoon. And after Generations, which had nothing, it was like, oh, well, you guys could have done something with it. Um, but nobody's really turned on it yet. <laughs> and that brings us to Sonic Lost World. What a game. What a I haven't game. played this I haven't played this game, but I don't like it. Yeah, I did play it. Um There's a lot to take away from it. Sonic Force uh, Sonic Forces. Woo! Sonic Lost World is the kind of game where on paper it is brilliant. With like if if you read like a synopsis of all the stuff that it introduces to Sonic's gameplay, you're like whoa these are really good ideas like parkour free movement these are all really smart ideas and then the more into the finer details and how it plays you get the more you realize that it's not good at all but at the very least uh the gameplay of sonic lost world isn't really the point this week so we could at least talk about the writing which is bad there's nothing to take away from it. It's bad. It's bad. My central takeaway, and, and Mitt can relate to this, we were just talking about it earlier, is that everyone is just a jerk to each other. Yeah, like, whoa. Like, all of a sudden, um, nobody is likable, especially not Sonic. Eggman sounds like he's the only voice of reason. Sounds like he's the only one who's, who speaks anywhere near close to someone worth listening to. Um, and nothing makes any sense. So, like, Tails is just always really passive and, and weird. Sonic feels weirdly aggressive with his quips this time. Like, there's a scene very early on where he, Tails is fixing the tornado because they crash land onto the Lost Hex. And Sonic walks up and he's like, hey, you finished yet? And then Tails goes on this whole diatribe. Well, not even a diatribe. It's just like a long thing. Like, this is really easy for me. I could do this in my sleep. And Sonic says, oh, well, I didn't ask for your life story. We're all good. Would have been cool. And then Tails says, we're all good. Like, he's, he's friendly now. And then, you know, Sonic responds appropriately. Like, everything's okay. Ignoring the fact that what Sonic just said was kind of mean. That was weird. Why did Sonic just sound so aggressive when he when he said the thing that Tails was saying to his friend, the way friends talk to each other? And that's not even getting into the weird Tails and Sonic character dynamic stuff that happens later where they start to hate each other for some reason. Yeah, I want to get into that, but like on the subject of just Sonic alone, he's that way to everyone. It's so strange. The Zeddy... We'll talk about this like more properly at some point in a more Lost World-focused episode. Not to say this one isn't Lost World-focused, honestly, but 
the Zeti are just such shallow characters, period, in their conception and design that yeah. most of the writing from characters around them are just pointing out how shallow they are. And like, why'd you even bother then? Uh, it comes from Eggman, it comes from Sonic. Sonic and Eggman both make just joke after joke about how Zamom's whole thing is he's fat and he likes to eat. Yeah, it's it's such a double-edged sword too because it's not like he's a good character to begin with. So it's like when Eggman is just sitting there pointing out the fact that Zomom is fat, it's like this isn't a funny joke, but also there's literally nothing else going on with the character for anything else to be said. It it feels less like Eggman's ribbing him and more like he's just stating how the character is written. Yeah. Exactly. It that it the only readings are either everyone is just giving base level statements about the Zeti that are true, or all the characters are given this opportunity to become the kind of people who just poop all over other people for things they can't control. Yeah. Like, whoops, we made Sonic uh, someone who doesn't like fat people. Sorry. Ugh. What's going on? Why'd you do this? Yeah, we also decided to make Sonic. Um, he now has a fatal character flaw where he just doesn't think ever. Yeah, he's an idiot. He just excuse me. He will just run headfirst into everything all the time. It will get him and his friends into trouble. Uh, and it makes and it him makes completely his unlikable. Like him. Yeah, it makes his friends not like him. Which, that's the thing. That doesn't really come up. I don't think there's ever really a point where, like, people get frustrated with Sonic over how he acts in that respect. It's more just like, wow, Sonic, you shouldn't have done, you shouldn't have kicked away the cacophonic conch because that's stupid. Why did you do that? Because it's coming out of Eggman's mouth. And Eggman's mm. the villain. So naturally, the story doesn't want you to agree with him. And that's how they write it, too, because they'll have Sonic and Tails kind of riff with each other on Eggman just to do it for literally no reason when it's Sonic's fault that they're all in this mess. So, like, Eggman is the real protagonist of the story, and he gets so exhausted by <laughs> everything that goes on. Like, everyone in this game, especially Zeddy, the Zeddy and Eggman, say like weirdly violent things in this game um and with eggman it comes across like he is just tired of everything in like it's a very so inhumane up. way so like it just comes across as really weird and out of place yeah the way that eggman says violent stuff about the or like toward the yeti is also part of why like i can't i can't sit comfortably with the idea that he's the protagonist not saying mm. like that i'm shooting that idea down it's just like when it's proposed i see that it's kind of correct i also don't want to be following him as the protagonist in the story i don't want to be yeah. following anyone in the story as the protagonist none of them are written are written well to be the the person the audience should be on the side of yeah exactly which it should be the zeddy yeah. The Zeddy should be the people you side with, except they suck. Yeah, they are literally enslaved by Dr. Eggman, which uh, has never 
done that to anything he saw as like a, a sapient creature before. Um, just little woodland critters and chaos. And I guess the no, he didn't really have anything to do with the bio lizard. No. Um, and Dark Gaia, which like also whatever. He also uh, lost control of Dark Gaia. He did also lose control of Dark Gaia, much like he lost control of the Zeti. I, yeah. I don't remember the, the the details of his plot in Unleashed, but I assume that he also didn't really know anything about Dark Gaia uh, in the sense that, like, why would he know that Dark Gaia has motives? I don't think he was necessarily channeling Dark Gaia as much as it was an offshoot of the things that was going on, because I think he was channeling the power of the Chaos Emeralds from the intro, to split the planet mm. in half, and because he did that, it awakened Dark it Gaia. Awakened but Dark I don't Gaia. Think, that makes more sense. Yeah, yeah, I don't think he was necessarily doing it to use Dark Gaia, because he doesn't in the whole game. I can remember that for sure. Okay. But he, he doesn't ever use anything with Dark Gaia, because the entire point is that he wants to build Eggman Land, and he does, but right. it's not like Dark Gaia is, is helping him do that. That's true, and that, that makes a lot more sense. So... Still, though, the point the point that I was making that, like, any time Dr. Eggman has, like, tried to take control of a creature for his own benefit, it's never been anyone who is, like, a living person unless yep. they chose to side with him, like with Infinite. So it's really strange. He's literally enslaving these six, right? Yeah, the, these yeah. six people on a planet that he just found um yeah. it's really weird and uncomfortable and that's why that's part of why the zeti should be the good guys in this scenario because they're literally being enslaved and then they break out of slavery and they fend, they fight back but they're just also evil they're just evil yep. people also so uh and i do think this is worth touching upon here because it, it does have to do with writing but the Deadly Six and the Lost Hex just don't have any backstory whatsoever. And that's a huge problem. Uh, partially because of that is because they're just evil for no reason. Which normal that them being evil for no reason isn't an inherent problem. It's not like a character can't just be evil without an apparent motivation in a given story. Right. It's that the way that they are presented in this the in Sonic games, which always present context for why things tend to be evil, um, they have nothing. And there's no logical reason for them to be evil, except like, oh, they're conquerors, but they're on the Lost Hex, so it's kind of implied that they're from the Lost Hex, which is not conquered. Um, we don't know what the Zeti conquering something looks like, and the Lost Hex does not look conquered, because they didn't put the animals in capsules, the animals are in capsules because of Eggman, and everything that happens in the game is because of Eggman. There's Badniks there because of Eggman. Mm -hmm. So, like, we don't know what's native to the Lost Hex. Nothing makes any sense. They they just go around being evil because they're typecast to be evil, and they're conquerors, but we don't know what they conquer because there's nothing to conquer, and the Lost Hex just exists to be nothing. It has no weight or presence or anything it, it's completely disconnected from the rest of sonic's world which you can do that and make it interesting 
but they didn't because they didn't want to tell the story of something disconnected from Sonic's world. They wanted to tell a story and not consider how it relates to anything. Yeah. And we come to another thing of nothing really, nothing of substance happens in Lost World. A lot of character drama happens, a lot of forced, uninteresting, and, and often irritating character drama happens. Both between Sonic and Tails, between Tails and Eggman, between Sonic and Eggman, between all three of them and the Zeddy. And then Sonic beats all six of the Zeddy up, and then Eggman's the final boss and the game's over. Yeah, and the Zeddy, when you fight them, they just disappear like Mario enemies. God, yeah. Oh, you know another thing? Knuckles and Amy are in Lost World. They are, you're right. They don't do anything. They don't, you're right. They're not in the Lost Hex. We just see them sometimes through Tails' little device that he started having since Colors, which is another connecting connecting thread. Um, and for more forced character drama toward the end... Uh, Sonic loses connection with them, and it like means nothing. Yep. Uh, Sonic's world in every appearance in Lost World looks completely uninhabited. Literally, yeah. it looks like the only two people who live there are Knuckles and Amy, because there's just nothing every time you see it. And from a technical from a technical perspective, that's just because you only see Sonic's world like two times. So it's like whatever. We don't have the resources to do it. But the offer, the the result of that is, it feels uninhabited. There's no one there. It just doesn't feel like Lost World has any consideration for what's in it and what, what is in it means for anything outside of it. Yeah. Lost World hopes that you don't care about any of the ideas that it presents. <laughs> it, you know what it does? It wants to to just do things with the characters, and. It doesn't want you to question them. And if you do question them, it gets mad at you. <laughs> it's completely unlike Generations and Colors, which don't attempt that. And if they do, they don't care. Cause, and it doesn't matter either. Like in Generations, you don't care about white space because it's nothing. It, it's explained in the most bare bones way possible, and it completely accomplishes everything it needs to do. And you don't really care about the logistics of it because the logistics don't matter and they never do matter. So with Lost yeah, with Lost World, it introduces so many things that completely are not elaborated upon in a way that makes things make no sense and is just awful to experience. Everything about it is bad. I think even worse than just having the wisps around for every game after colors is the fact that the next game that had them was Lost World. Yeah. There's no... They don't explain anything for why there are wisps on the Lost Hex. The implication from colors is that they all come from Planet Wisp, and that Planet Wisp was this central narrative figure because it's where Eggman found the wisps, and he made the whole amusement park as um, as a front for chaining that planet specifically to his machines so that he can siphon power from them. Like, yeah, sure, he is using machinery on Asteroid Coaster specifically to do this. So, like, there's another planet 
or series of whatever, series of meteorites and asteroids, maybe also planets involved in the process. But at the end of the day, most of it is just death trap slash actual amusement park as a front for this really scary thing he's doing. Yeah. So the fact that the wisps show up again after that, not just having followed Sonic, but apparently existing naturally in another location feels really strange. Maybe the idea is that the wisps are kind of nomadic by nature. So planet wisp is their home planet, but maybe they also live on the other planets that got chained in. And they just moved there for the same reasons that they moved to Sonic's planet. Like, maybe. And then I guess they would also be on the Lost Hex for the same reason. Even though we still don't know what the deal is with the Lost Hex. It's not in space. <laughs> right. There's an atmosphere before they even reach it. Yeah, it's just in the sky. We don't know where in the sky. At all. And we're probably never going to see it again. Yeah. It's it's like, I guess it's basically Little Planet, but worse. But stupid. It's so much less interesting because they don't, they don't even give like a bare bones mythological statement about it. That's what yeah. you get for Little Planet uh, in Sonic CD's manual. And, and even then, you get to see more than just that because of the intro and ending cin uh, cinematics where you see it literally chained to the planet. That's a pretty big deal. That tells you a lot just on its own. Yeah. So, lacking any context for the Lost Hex, aside from they're in the sky and they reach it, just makes it so inexplicable. And, like, your, your potential reading for the Wisps is, like, interesting. It's just that no statement means that any reading is, val is valid on them. Yeah, I also think that it feels like a cop-out answer because no matter what, the Wisps are so tethered to Sonic Colors conceptually that mm -hmm. any time they appear anywhere else, it won't feel right. It's like if Chaos kept showing up or the Bio-Lizard, it just wouldn't make sense. It just wouldn't make sense. And it's so weird that, they don't, that the writers at the time didn't seem to view it that way. But the writers and the game designers, because presumably the reasons the Wisps are in Lost World is not because Pontac and Graf were like, we like these things that we had a hand in making. Let's put them in this game also to the rest of the dev team. It was probably more that the dev team liked the mechanics of the Wisps and wanted to bring them over. So they had to have... Well, they, they had to decide if they were going to have any justification for them being there, and they decided not to. I would be surprised if the devs themselves were the ones behind the decision, the decision to bring back the Wisps, to be perfectly honest with you. Hmm. Do you think it's more of like a directorial or producer decision? Yeah, I think it's a higher-up thing to, to unify the games a little better. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's why they keep coming back, because they're modern Sonic's power-ups now. And that's what yeah. they tried to establish them as, and they saw the, the response to the Wisps when Sonic Colors came out and how many people were, were on board with it. And they were like, okay, this is what it is now. We're going to do this in every game now, because this is how modern Sonic handles power-ups. Yeah. It didn't work. This is super jumping ahead, but I didn't really have any thoughts on this anyway, so I figured it's kind of okay to just kind of touch on it. Uh, uh, Pontac and Graf's last work for Sonic was Team Sonic Racing, and yeah. that game has some of the writing issues of, of the last decade, but, like, not as much. It just doesn't really matter. 
that game's writing it doesn't really matter it's like it's okay um yeah everyone is like a little too mm, not rude but like snippy with each other on the track everyone feels very overly familiar with each other in the way that randoms on twitter will be in the replies yes. to his art oh my god that's such an apt comparison it, that, it's is very really much weird. like they're all it, trying to be like twitter funny men to each other yeah it's so weird to say that they're being over familiar with each other because they all know each other they're all friends yeah <laughs> so like they're supposed to be yeah but like god man that doesn't and, make any sense but it's entirely right and team sonic racing really cements the idea that the Wisps are just like a unifying thematic element, just an, an, an object that the Sonic games just have all the time now, because we went from Eggman is trapping them and, and uh, siphoning their power. Uh, they are temporarily lending abilities to Sonic in order to save their entire kind. Okay, cool. To in Lost World, they're just here. Huh? To forces where now they're being put in weapons for, for people who are fighting the war against Eggman, which is a thing that's happening now, to use. They're guns. They're firing Wisp guns. Um, and then from that to Team Sonic Racing, where they're being used as, as items against other racers in a kart race. Yep. What happened? You know, one thing I did just think of that I think stands as an overarching problem with Sonic stories in general. This isn't even a new thing. They don't utilize the greater Sonic universe that's been established at all. Like, it's not even a, they don't do it well enough. They don't do it at all. Um, because I don't know why you would think to use the Wisps for weapons, period. Because, like, there's so much weird story baggage for them being there to begin with. But also, mm -hmm. like, where's the Master Emerald in all of Sonic Forces? And I don't mean that as a, in a, why is Knuckles here kind of way? I mean, like, a, it's the Master Emerald and Eggman took over the world. Where is I, it? I also mean that in a, why is Knuckles here way, though. Well, I, I mean... When it's in a why is Knuckles here way, that's very broad, because that applies to so many different games, but I think specifically within the context of Sonic Forces... Within the con, yeah. It's important to know where it is, or the Chaos Emerald. What is happening? Where are all these big, important MacGuffins that, like, yes, they are used in every single plot as the MacGuffins to give Eggman, like, the energy he needs? There's a reason why you they do that. It's because they're good. They're it's good because they exist. MacGuffins. Yeah, they exist. You introduce them, them again, they reestablishes exist. establishes their place in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And and you're right. Um just that I feel like breaching that subject just breaches the whole thing of why is forces the way it is, period, with the way it is in regards to characters who are here and what they're doing, character motivations, especially on the villain side. Yeah. And why they're using what they have. Now, it, it makes some amount of sense for the Chaos Emeralds to have lessened importance in a game where they're trying to focus on this other new thing. It's, um, 
it's not the same, but it's a little bit like the Time Stones. It's a little bit like the Soul Emeralds, even though the Chaos Emeralds mattered in Rush also. Like, it makes some sense, but they're also just not here, period. No one references them. They're not important. They're not even a side collectible, like, like in colors, how they kind of are, like they kind of exist in colors. It's not even that. Like, they're nothing. The only game the Emeralds have mattered in the last decade is Generations, and that it was an anniversary game. Yeah. Like, so, I guess you could make that argument with Sonic Colors 2, but with Sonic Colors, because the, the whole game centers around the Wisps and Eggman mm-hmm. using them to power his machines, you could make the assumption that that is like how it was before, where he kept jumping from power source to power source to see something that would work. And like, it makes sense for him to be sick of the Chaos Emeralds, but it still turns Sonic super. Yeah. And I, I think Unleashed handled that best as a means of giving Eggman a new power to play around with, while also using the Chaos Emeralds as an important plot MacGuffin. That, um... And they're neutralized at the same time. There's right. a reason why they can't just be used as a catch-all for everything, because you have to fix them. People don't talk about it enough, but Unleashed has a fairly competent story structure. Yeah. A lot of the minutiae of it is kind of eh, because it's bogged down with the necessity to go from area to area and justify that all the time. But Mm -hmm. a lot of the overarching elements of it are well put together. They explain themselves pretty well. And that just kind of got lost with the change in writing team. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I do. I do want to talk about why is Knuckles here, though. It's a big shift in conversation, but like, there's something interesting going on with Forces and its choice to be a game about war. But my God, did they approach it in just the weirdest way possible? Did everyone forget Amy's twelve years old? Oh, they forgot everyone is their age. True, but like. Japanese media loves to have stories about teenagers going through tons of strife and becoming much more mature than they were at the start. That's not quite the same thing here because no one grows in Sonic Forces and no one is like given a starting point to begin with. They're just in the role that they're in. But even then, it's still like kind of understandable, except Tails and Amy are eight years old and 12 years old, respectively. It feels so weird. Like... You you can have Tails as as the mechanic boy, sure. Why is Amy directing people on a battlefield? What's happening? Uh, I could tell you what's happening. Yeah. The the Sonic characters having ages is such a minute point in the grand scheme of things nowadays. Yeah, they have effectively become ageless designs, uh, because you could make the argument that Sonic is twenty, and mm-hmm. you could say, but he's supposed to be fifteen, which I don't think you could make as much of a good argument for. But you could still make an argument that he's like twenty to thirty years old. He sounds like an adult. He acts like a obnoxious adult. He doesn't act like his age. None of the characters do. So I feel like it's it's not so much a thing about 
forces story in particular at least like yes it especially affects forces because forces is a very high concept plot uh that does nothing with it but i think that's the thing is that none of them act their ages so like because of that it just feels like their ages just don't matter anymore it's not even worth pointing out because it clearly didn't matter to the writers so why should it matter to us when critiquing the story presented that's the thing i am starting to reach for is like it i i don't like that it doesn't matter to the writers because it means they're not it means they've hit a point where they're not considering the details of the world that they have maintained for years and like list anytime they give character bios you know yeah because it's it's such a different thing from like it's if you don't mind me just stepping in still it's it's such a different thing from say like fighting games like kof or or tekken giving these short fun little character bios for for the entire cast and being like yeah iori likes rock music um doesn't even play jazz or anything he's just associated with the sound oh sorry no i think he actually does like jazz i'm thinking wrong but like iori likes jazz music hates women um okay these things don't come out in his gameplay they don't even come out in his plots but they're there because they're fun little character details there's a world's difference between that and making statements about the kind of people that your characters are and then putting them in situations that make them act against that constantly yeah i i think my point is that it's not so much a specific problem with forces it is a problem with the greater franchise in general you are right the direction that modern sonic has taken with everyone it feels like nothing about the established world or character details matters at all anymore and they're trying their hardest to erase all of those details that did matter so they can continue doing just whatever they want with the freedom they're permitted by having no details because by making it so sonic is no longer you know 15 they can do whatever they want with him and justify it because he's sonic and he's not a recognizable an, a character that is recognizably the age that he is supposed to have. Mm-hmm. Which is bad. Which is stupid. It's just stupid. The reason I fixate on Knuckles and Amy in particular, because because you're right. If this is not a forces centric problem, but I just I view it through the through the lens of forces a lot lately because I I don't get why Knuckles is in a leadership position in this game why the writers decided to do that because he's not a leader he has always been a loner that has always been his thing even if that is also several other characters thing it's always been his um and there's no build-up or justification to it it's just where he's at because they need people to be in wartime roles for the army that is the basis of the whole game's plot and so they put knuckles there so they can have him say funny stuff because he's kind of stupid. That's how he's written. Um, love to have an incompetent leader for the player base. Or for the player faction, rather. And then just Amy is... It's just weird. I still, I don't like the way they characterize Amy anymore. Period. 
it, it feels like they thought, oh, well, we have to put the important characters in the important leadership roles because they're the important characters, and they didn't really think any harder than that. It's why it was nice opening up the first few IDW issues and seeing the writers of those comics just undo all of that like as quickly as they could. Just yeah. get everyone out of those roles. Like, there is still war happening. There is civil unrest. But the main Sonic cast is not at the forefront of operating it anymore. Which is good. It's just not the kind of characters that I, that they are. It gives more room for Knuckles to take care of himself and deal with his own responsibilities. It gives Sonic the room to go off and pursue whatever excites him at any moment. It gives Amy the room to... I don't know, I guess just fawn over Sonic somewhere. To be a kid. To be a kid. I She's still not being written that much like a kid in the IEW comics, but whatever. Yeah, I... Man. Every time that something like this comes up, it just makes me wish that, that Amy was literally just Sonic's little sister. Because that right. would basically twist their arm and force them to have to characterize her the way that she's supposed to be characterized <laughs> and it would it would make the character dy dynamic less gross <laughs> yeah less gross and less annoying i i don't know if i've mentioned this on the show yet i don't think i have it's just something that i've talked about with people before i think like i've come to terms with the the fact that what they really should have done from the beginning with the de the depiction of Sonic and Tails or Sonic and Tails, Sonic and Amy with, with Amy's pining for him is like Sonic's 15, Amy was 8, uh, she was before Sonic Adventure anyway, it's like oh, this little girl thinks I'm, thinks I'm cool I'm just gonna push her away yeah <laughs> like, any teen would Nobody who's aged 13 to 16 would see an eight-year-old coming over to them saying, I love you. Do you want to date me? And not be like, no, you're eight. <sighs> and like, I think that's part of what they were going for, but it never fully felt like it. And eventually they fell into the trap of trying to actually push those characters together because fans liked it, because children didn't have any concept of nuance, and they also didn't write it well to that point, so. Yep. Yeah, Amy should just be Sonic's little sister. That also would make uh, Team Rose feel a little more proper, because it keeps Amy in a role similar enough to Cream. Yeah. Well, and Big, because... Even though, like, we don't have a lot of depth to Big and Froggy's relationship, they are friends. They're good friends, presumably. So you get, like, this friendly, familial relationship dynamic between all three of Team Rose and the people they're looking for. Yeah, it, it keeps Big in, like, a guardian role that mm. also makes him feel, I guess, more like Totoro. Which is, like, the point. We talked about big a lot already but framing him as a guardian made me realize he would be so much more enjoyable as a character if he was positioned as the adult of the group yeah like instead of always going after froggy it would probably be better if he cared so much about everyone who he looks after and froggy is just like his pet 
so it tends to always falling upon Froggy, because Froggy is the one who he is around 24-7. Yeah. Like, imagine if a lot more of Team Rose's cutscenes in Sonic Heroes were uh, big, keeping the two of them out of immediate trouble. Yeah. That would be charming, especially if he stayed relatively quiet or, like, uh, straight-mannered with all of yeah. it. Uh, there's so much untapped potential, always, with all of the Sonic cast, and it feels at its worst in this last decade of games. Yeah, I'm really hoping that the next, I guess, generation of Sonic games, now that everything's getting all shifted around, I, I really hope it all comes together with better writing, more thoughtful writing. I really hope they just give the IDW's guy, guys stuff to do, and also the freedom to do it. Mm -hmm. Because they're smart. They know how these characters work. They're good at it. They need to be they're able really to do it. As someone who hasn't been keeping up with the IDW comics, but did pick up the 30th anniversary comic that came out recently at the time of recording, go pick that up, please. It's really good. It's really good. True. Friend of the podcast, uh, Vert Anderson, who has been on the show before, uh, has depicted the greatest illustrations of classic Sonic characters of all time. Mm-hmm. He did all of the line work for the first story in that issue, and it's good. It's great. True. And the writing all done by Ian Flynn is good. It's yeah. great. Just quick tangent. Ian has historically been really good at this thing that I love, which is taking two characters who had no dynamic before and giving them one, and it's good. Yeah. He just does this constantly. So, so go out and buy the 30th anniversary comic. Yeah, if you like that thing that Krep just described, you will like the 30th anniversary comic. And kind of a closing note for Forces specifically, I like that Forces tries to introduce a new character in a much better and more interesting and enjoyable way than any of the games prior to it uh, in this decade, in, in Infinite, but they do nothing with him. They, well, they do do something with him. Ooh, okay. I have to unpack the, the delivery of thought that I just had to <laughs> receive. Uh-huh. He parallels the way Shadow is depicted now really, really well. Um, in that they kind of have to out-brood each other. Mm-hmm. Shadow has been deprived of all of his character depth, so now he is competing with Infinite as like the dark one like the messed up evil one with a weird backstory that's that's left them evil and messed <laughs> up so like i don't i don't like saying edgy but the you literally just get like edgy versus edgy in a way that doesn't accomplish anything because it's just like uh, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of in Sonic 06 when Shadow just like dropkicks Silver in the back of the head. <laughs> where it's just like completely pointless aggravation. And like I know everyone likes that scene, but like, come on. Um, yeah, it, they like it because it's funny. 
Uh, yeah. They like it because he's he's kicking a character who's been annoying to them the whole the whole time they've been playing. But yeah, which it, is it's still like eh. that specific thought. Like, man, I really wish someone would just come up and kick this character who's really yeah. annoying. Is literally the brand of character that Shadow is now. Yeah, that's completely true. He he is the power fantasy character that exists just for you to accomplish that specific goal and do nothing else. So that's why with, with Infinite now, that's completely redundant, because that's supposed to be the exact same thing, but, like, this one is explicitly a villain, and uh-huh. he's super powerful because he has the power of illusions, and he could summon all of the the old villains, and they're all super uh-huh. powerful now. He could bring them back from the dead. Oh, but he, he brings Shadow back, but Shadow can't be uh, outdone, so... He goes and takes care of it himself before Sonic even does anything with it, showing yeah. that Shadow is still the coolest and most important character. Uh, the reason yeah. I say they don't do anything with Infinite is because they don't do anything that that matters again. Because you're right, they do do something with him. It's just yeah. that, once again, it doesn't have any impact on anything. He's He's there for the events of that game. He... Actually, does he send Sonic and and uh, the buddy to Null Space, or does Eggman do that? He does it. I'm pretty sure. Okay, so he does that. He's there to directly antagonize your avatar character a bunch. And that's all that he does, because you fight him one last time, and it's just a, a copy of the Metal Sonic fight you already did. Yeah. And then yeah. he's gone. He just goes away for the rest of the story. You don't even get a resolution with him. And either because Sonic Team still has plans for him, or because they don't know what they want to do with him yet, don't want anyone doing anything with him before they decide what they're doing, the IDW Comics team has not been allowed to use him at all. So he's just gone. There's just nothing. Infinite has done nothing of substance for the franchise. Yep. And that's the thesis statement. None of these games, narratively, thematically have made anything that matters really like the most you can the most credit you can give them is the wisps because they were neat in colors and they should have stayed there and they're putting them in everything else so you have to kind of acknowledge that they're here and a part of sonic's brand identity just because they're here yeah but they're not characters yeah I feel like that's a good way of putting it, and that's a a big problem with, with all of the new things that Sonic has introduced, is that they're addressing a problem, which is, oh, well, we don't want the villain to just be Eggman every time, and and we don't we, we want there to still be new characters. You shouldn't just use, you know, Sonic and Tails and no one else every single time, but they're addressing that by making characters that have zero depth exist purely for the, the given story and nothing else. But then they keep bringing them back. In the case of Zavok, they just keep bringing that guy back. And they don't explain anything about him still. So they try and make him more and more important to the greater Sonic universe without ever giving him anything of actual substance to back it up. He's just there now. And they keep putting they keep pitting him with Eggman, and he should hate him. Yes. There's no justification for why Zavok would be cool with working with Eggman ever again, but he keeps doing it. 
uh, in Forces it wasn't actually him, so whatever. But in Team Sonic Racing, it sure is. Yeah. Um, you know more than I do about how Zavok is in the comics right now. Is he working with Eggman, or is he his own actor? He is not. So okay. the interesting thing about the IDW comics is that recently I caught up on all of them uh, as of recording. And I read through Bad Guys, and that is a side series between, I believe, after the Metal Virus Saga. Um, and it sets up for the next saga, which is going on now. And what that is, is a bunch of villain characters established in the comics who have worked with Eggman in the past and have been betrayed by him or slighted by him in some way. So they work together with Dr. Starline, who is Eggman's self-proclaimed assistant, who has also been disgraced by Eggman, to prove Starline's worth to Eggman. And in return, Starline will give all these other villains what they want. And in that story, Zavok is given the role as the leader of the group, not like the brains, that's still Dr. Starline, but Zavok himself is the leader. Like, he he leads them into battle. And mm. his character interactions and the dynamic with him and everyone else is so interesting because he is a really good leader. He recognizes the value of um, of the team bonding with each other and recognizing their strengths as individuals even though they aren't like Zeddy, which we later learn for some reason they hold to a ridiculous standard because they're Zeddy. Uh, quasi spoilers, I guess. You learn it if you're still reading the main comic. It, it's not even a thing to learn. It's just that, like, as soon as bad guys end and we return to the main plot, all of his character development goes away. Mm. The, the other deadly sex members show up. And Zavok is just a completely one-note villain with zero anything that's interesting. They're a bad um, influence on him. Yeah. So it's so interesting seeing him build a dynamic with these other characters who work with him, and some of them even betray him. And it just does nothing now. There's just nothing to get out of it. You had so much, like, just concentrated in that one little side story that now isn't isn't in the main story again and i don't want to like knock the the comic writers for that because it's it's just the way the character is he, yeah. he just exists to not have a character and that's what sucks is that as long as there is no backstory for him or motive he'll never be interesting which is a weird line to draw because that's not necessarily true if you really want to get down to brass tacks, but just because of the way he acts and the world that he is in, it'll never work. It can't work. I feel like the Comics Predators team, ever since they were the main team for the Archie Sonic comics, have never felt particularly restrained by material they were working with from games. It always felt like they had so much they could do. Like, every every character they had was just more possibilities, more stories they could write. Yeah. And I feel like they're being 
actively restrained, or not restrained, actively restricted by the Zeti. Because, like, you could do literally anything with them, and that makes them boring, you know? Yeah. If, if the team is given enough free reign with the characters that they're given, which they're probably not given that much free reign, but maybe with the Zeti, who knows? Um, they really could do a lot of different things to give them some actual place and presence in Sonic's world. And that almost means that whatever they do with them could be really flat, because, like, where does it come from? The Zeti don't have any established character that, like, gives them a good leaning in one direction or another. They're just evil jokers who don't have anything interesting going on besides superficial traits that that include such exciting life aspects as uh, enjoying uh, personal stylization and being grumpy because you're old and enjoying eating at the behest of anything else. There's, there's nothing that makes for anything interesting narratively so whatever direction they're given at that point feels arbitrary yep it's so frustrating with them because it's it's like i i almost don't even want to see them get character development yeah because what's there as a baseline now i almost can't fathom as being saved or fixed. I don't feel like what they have deserves any elaboration. Yeah. I I'd rather them just never reappear than for them to be established as like a recurring thing. Except for Zavok. If you got rid of all of the other deadly six and just had Zavok and had him be like a, a weird alien who's like a really smart leader and like has his reasons for doing things and can see the values in working with other people. That's cool. That's interesting. The other Deadly Six members don't have that. Yeah, because at least Zavok's trait as a character was leader. Yeah. His, his traits were, like, aggressive and leader, and, like, that's something because that uh, leader can be in relation to other people. Yeah. I, I think if you make Zavok not necessarily evil... But, like, I don't know how to put it. He, he values strength above all else mm. at, the, at the behest of any damage that may cause. Um, that would be an interesting dynamic, because that would give him a reason to constantly be seeking a group. And it would give him... And then that would give him more reasons to, you know, flex his leadership muscle. And it would also give him a reason to be a villain sometimes, but not give him a completely invisible, pointless motive for just being evil. Like, even if you wanted him to be evil, just all the time, just go around conquering places, that would still be a good enough justification is that he goes around conquering places that are not fit to be strong enough and he has no respect for, so he doesn't see them as, I guess, people. Right. Which would still suck. It would be boring. 
but it, it would at least be something. Yeah, like at minimum, that provides a character flaw that can be changed through development and story arcs. Yeah. Like there's a basis for someone to be something and then be something else later. Yeah. And you know what's especially weird? He's not even the leader of the Deadly Six. Like, not technically. Master Zick is clearly above him and gives him advice. And he values That's... everything that Master Zick says. That's true. There's, It's weird because there's a little bit of, of uh, the narrative positioning him as a leader figure just in that he's the penultimate boss of the game. He's the last boss of the Zeti. And... Whenever the Zeti do anything as a group, he is at the forefront. Yeah. Those two things alone do a, uh, go a long way for making him feel like he's the Zeti, uh, even if he might not be the authority of the group. So yeah. it still it makes sense to, to hone in on him. And then the other part of it is that he's just the least obnoxious out of all of them. Yeah, like, if you wanted to keep everyone and then let Zavok branch out, and I guess, like, the comics could be going in this direction based on how the last episode, the last issue went. Mm. Um, if you wanted to make it so Zavok branched out and did his own things because Master Zick just never let up and was just constantly obnoxious and evil about everything... And it got to the point where Zavok, as the leader, started to question his ways. So it was just Zavok doing whatever he does to build a new team versus the, the rest of the Deadly Six under the leadership of, Dead, of uh, Master Zick. That'd be interesting, because then that would at least really be putting a magnifying glass on how one note they are. Like, if you make them all evil for the sake of being evil, and then put them under Master Zick's leadership, and he has an ulterior motive, that could be literally whatever it, it needs to be. It could be yeah. anything. And everyone else is literally just following the leader, because I can't imagine them thinking for themselves. Yeah. Um, then at least you have something. I at actually, least there's something there. I had a, a different idea while you were saying that, and I like yours a lot. Uh, the idea I had was more that if Zavok leaves the Deadly Six, what if that left the rest of them feeling like there's a gap in how they function or operate or or how they are socially as a group or just anything, like something was missing or something was wrong without Zavok there? That is honestly a decent way to give these other five characters any kind of drive that doesn't feel arbitrary because it's yeah. relative to something that actually matters to them. They could... Uh, become dispassionate or disillusioned or unhappy in any kind of way and either seek Zavok out or do something reckless or do something stupid, like anything that results in character development. Because the only thing at this point that I think could give the, the other Deadly Six anything of value is if something happens to them and then events that they go through give them traits. Because if something is just told to us otherwise that like, oh, Saz actually enjoys this activity now. Like, why? Where did that come from? Why does it matter? Yeah. Giving us something that we actually see concretely happen on screen could matter a lot more. Yeah. Maybe it's just that, like, because we don't know what the deal is with the, the lost hex, it really just feels like that 
they truly just have nothing to to hold on to. They, yeah. They're just completely uh, empathyless, I guess. Yeah. Like, I I think of Zaz, and it's like that character exists purely to be the crazy one, and I cannot imagine there is anything in universe prior or beyond that would change him from being that. Yeah, like, what does he actually do? Does he just throw objects at creatures and people? There's no people in the Lost Hex, so just objects at creatures all day and and think it's funny? Like, that's the only character implication we get from the way he interacts with Sonic. Yeah. What a flat and nothing existence. That's kind of why I think like tearing Zavok out of the group and then exploring what that does to the group dynamic would be interesting because it's the one thing that all the characters have any relationship to. Yeah. If you if you remove like any if you think of them as like legs on a table and you take one away, um that affects all the rest of them inherently and then you can start exploring how that affects them and that creates a basis for anything else with them yeah that's that's kind of our send-off to uh the writing of this whole generation of sonic yeah it needed work it never got work maybe it'll get work now hopefully i'd love to end this on a hopeful note i'm i'm always excited for what they're going to do next um I, I hate the whole concept of the Sonic cycle, but one thing that I do think is is real with a lot of Sonic games in the last like decade, decade and a half has been like being excited that they're making something new and then seeing a little bit more of it and thinking this actually doesn't look that great. I'd, I'd hope that we don't get that this time. I hope that we don't get it every time. Um, yeah, especially especially after what we got from the 2010s. Yeah, I think. It's nice to get new things i think i to to speak a little bit on a downer i was hopeful <laughs> that this would be like a full fresh start on everything to really you know turn the next page for the franchise and then as we went on it kind of stopped being that as much but who knows maybe things could change 2020s can be different yeah <laughs> my world's on fire how about yours that's the way i like it and I never get bored. I'm Crep. You can find me on Twitter at Crappy Blue. I'm Mitt. You can find me on Twitter at Mitsumi Mario. You can check out the Twitter account. You can check it out. Whatever. You can you can follow the Twitter account for the show at LTA Sonic. And you can back us on Patreon if you so choose at patreon.com slash LTA Sonic. And you could even look at the entire list of episodes and all the platforms that they're on at ltasonic.card.co that's c-a-r-r-d dot c-o and we'll see you in the next zone with a new set of writers and a new voice cast and a whole different look on everything 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 <laughs>